Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Our reading today is going to be taken from a very famous scripture in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the 31st verse. It says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Praise the Lord. Bible says 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In my meditations, preparing this, the Lord sat me down and started speaking very intricate statements, and many of which I'm going to share with you today. And fundamentally, he expressed to me something and said, the reason why we're seeing either people failing to settle down in marriage, the reason why we see many divorces in our days than they used to be before. In fact, one time I was reading an article in the United States, close to 50% of the marriages end up in divorce. I don't have a fraction here because we don't do those things in Africa. We don't just go to find out how many are divorced. It's not an African thing. No offense. But let us use America like the world. Okay, for example, and say that 50% of every 100 people that are getting married, 50 of them may not make it. Rightly put. You see, so why are people failing to settle in marriage? Why have people failed to commit in marriage? Why are people failing in marriage? It was a very fundamental question. Then he told me, it is because today marriage is not built God's way. It's built on many foundations that have come from human philosophies, carnal experiences, in different indoctrinations. Pragmatic thought is a foundation of marriage. Today, marriage in our day is not built God's way. And because marriage is God's idea and we're not building it his way, it crumbles and fails. Why? Because we're not building God's way. Build your marriage God's way. There are two ways you can build marriage. Either you build it God's way or you build it the human way. The Bible is clear that whatever was not planted by God will be uprooted. He doesn't say might be, could be. Will be uprooted. So it's important to understand what it means to be planted by God. Because today, 
We even have things that people have defined as planted by God, but they were not really God's idea or God's way. And sometimes we justify it out of immaturity, out of confusion, the confusion of falling in love, out of the desperacy of the human soul. She's kept herself. She's believed God. And as she grows older, she realizes she might go past childbearing and she's running out of time and her cousin got married last weekend. Her best friend is carrying children and she's not. And, you know, she sort of creates something and gets married and tries to justify it through scripture. But when you look at it, it's not God's way. And so the Lord said to show me how much we have vied off from the way. His way. Today, what's happening in the church of Jesus Christ? Is appalling. At least we understand divorce and the pain of it because God hates it. But we don't even understand how people are separating. It is crazy. Somebody does or says something about their spouse or ex or does something to them and you say, what is marriage? You understand what I'm saying? So, our generation that is growing up has questions that cannot be answered because the interpretation is little on how these things have to be carried because they're not even weighed right. So, it's important for us to speak a lot and plant a few seeds biblically. And I believe we will see results in Jesus' mighty name. No man is an expert in marriage. No. Don't be deceived. Even when they assume that they're experts, they're not. Every marriage has its own distinction. And it's within those distinctions that you will create your perfection as you will define it. But what you define as perfect, you might find is not perfect. It's even off the course and you don't know. You would assume, oh, I'm happy, but you're not even happy. You probably don't even know what happiness is or what marriage is. So today, I want to take some time and help us understand, especially I'm going to give so much emphasis on why God designed marriage. What God's mind is concerning marriage. I believe it's a very good place for us to start. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, that marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. It says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Now, I was studying that portion of scripture. It was the beginning of God opening this thing to me. The Greek word there for honorable is Timaeus, Timaeus. It means of great price. Precious. Held in honor. Esteemed. Especially dear. But I also want you to mark the words spoken there in English. That marriage, he said, is honorable in all. He did not say to all. He said in all. 
There's a difference. Two O is if you said marriage is honorable, two O, it would mean so much of what it does to you outside. But when you say marriage is honorable in all, it's more of what marriage does in you. Marriage is God's work in you. And by definition, a precious work to God. There is a cost to God when he puts the seed of marriage in you. When he places the spirit of marriage in you, there is a cost. It's costly to make you a wife. That's what God is saying. It's expensive to make you a husband. That means we're talking about divine investment. God has invested so much in you to become a husband. He invests so much in you to become a wife. That is why God hates divorce because he sees that he has lost his investment. Everything and whatever has costed him to make that in you has been frustrated. The essence of it has been ignored. It breaks God to see marriage fail because of how much he invests in you to become a husband. Because of how much he invests in you to become a wife. That's what makes it expensive. He says, I hate divorce, Malachi 2.16, says the Lord. I hate it. Why? Because imagine you get $100 million, 100 million Ugandan shillings, and invest it in a business, and that business fails. So painful. Because it was a cost. God has everything. Are you hearing me? So money, even in its own terms, would not express to us, perhaps money is not a fixed, you know, available thing for all to the degree and amount everyone wants. Okay. So I can relate that to human beings. But now let's go to the God who has it all. He has all the money in the world. He has all the gold in the world. Why would he call it costly and precious? Yet whatever it takes to do marriage, you can simply put it in another. Why does he call it costly? Because it is the only human representation of the mystery, Christ and the church. The only way God can explain to you the relationship that Jesus has with us as a church is through marriage. Marriage is the most powerful relationship in humanity. The most powerful. The most powerful. Because even when you have a child, God doesn't say that that child is one with you. No. He doesn't say that that child is one with you. But he will say to your spouse, you are one flesh. You are one flesh. That is why the bed is undefiled. In marriage, the marital bed is undefiled. Why? Because it carries the purity of the person of God. It carries the purity of the person of God. That's his original intent. 
Now, let's walk this slowly. So if we are talking about marriage as God's idea, I'm hoping you're starting to understand that it's more than the legal contract you sign with the officers that be in any land. I hope you see that it becomes bigger than what a person will get a pen and paper to sign. It becomes bigger than the property that people share. It becomes bigger than the inheritances. It even becomes bigger than bearing children. It's bigger than that because it's God's word. It's God's idea. Now, I'm going to come back to the issue of husband, wife, Christ, and the church. When we look at the various forms of marriage, the different dynamics that we've seen in marriage in biblical history, many of them are somewhat confusing because we see examples of people who establish their own way rather than God's way to find an answer to a challenge, to a problem that they had. Specifically, for example, it was never God's mind to have polygamous marriages. It's not God's mind, biblically. It's not God's mind. Otherwise, he would have made Adam two or three. He wanted to populate the earth. He was the first man. Wouldn't it be the most desperate point? When you have less, less, wouldn't that be the point where you'd have to multiply most? You see what I'm saying? But then, like we see in the story of Abraham, polygyny, to be exact, or polygamy, starts with him. Originally, it was not God's mind. But we start to see men like Abraham marrying another woman, Hagar. Why? Because Sarah bore him no word, no child. That was circumstantial. It wasn't originally God's mind. Recently, I heard a minister, Christian minister, who said, but in the Old Testament, the kings married more than one or two or three. In the New Testament, there is nowhere where God tells us to be espoused to one person. And I'm trying to tell him there's a difference between a New Testament believer and an Old Testament believer. God expects more from us than them. Somebody shout hallelujah. You've read of what they call the Levirate marriages. From the Latin word Levir, a husband's brother. A man would die, for example. And uh, when he dies, in whatever the brother takes for inheritance, sometimes the wife was part of that eh? in some societies. Even in old African society, we have had that because it's really Jewish in culture. Still exists in some parts of Asia. Can we say that it is right in every dispensation because we saw it happen? If you go back in the Bible, the Old Testament, you will see that it was circumstantial. She lost a husband. And when property is taken to the brother, because women were not allowed to inherit property, women were part of that property. That was circumstantial. You see? But it wasn't originally 
the mind of God, except in the exceptional times where God had a purpose bigger than. So it's not so that it's a law that now that you see it in the Bible, if a man dies and the brother is left behind, he is supposed to automatically take over his wife. It's not so. Somebody shout hallelujah. We saw experiences in scripture where people gave over their daughters out of sentiment. You remember Saul. He says, he that kills Goliath, I'll give him my daughter. He doesn't care whether she's in love, whether she's ready, whether he's ready. David. He just says, whoever. And when you study the life of David, he was not ready for marriage. David was not ready for marriage. You can see the relationship he had with this woman. You can see how she related with him. And I'll get back to that later and give an example because it's important for us to connect this. Why a man would dance for God and the woman stands in the window and scorns at him. Something in there was not joined by God. Somebody shout hallelujah. We saw men taking over women as prizes of war. They go take over a city, besiege it and see a beautiful girl and then a man takes her home and she becomes a wife. Is that something we can define in this day? No. We saw instances where families would just agree and they wake up and take you. Even today, it still happens in some parts of Africa and Asia. You see what I'm saying? But these ideas were circumstantial. However, God in his grace, because of their place of ignorance, he still worked in that circumstance. But in his working in that circumstance was only because of their place of ignorance. For the Bible says, in the days of ignorance, the Lord what? Winks. But now he says, he calleth every man, commandeth every man to repent, change your mind. Understand my original idea concerning what? Marriage. Did you know that historically, weddings were not performed in church until 10 AD? Historically, there were community events, there were family events. Families meet with families and do their marriages, right? Communities come together and then they do their marriages. It's about 10 AD when the church had advanced in knowledge. Jesus had come and people started to have an understanding. The Bible says the Son of Man is come. And he has given us an understanding. The Son of God in coming gave humanity a certain understanding. First John 5.20 That we may know him who is true. So when we start to have conversations of the church, an organized place of worship and places where men would come together to relate with this person, Jesus Christ, things start unfolding and the mystery becomes clearer for humanity and then we see people conducting marriages in church. Why? Because the word is coming. And statements like, at the testimony of two or three witnesses, every word is what? Is established. And what better way was it to have a witness except one which is one with God and everything that represents your faith? You see? Technically speaking, at the testimony of two or three witnesses, every word is established, including marriage. You must agree. You don't need a thousand people and your mother and your father to all be there. If you have two witnesses, you can actually conduct a marriage biblically. 
But why they found it wise in that period to put it in church because people had received the lordship of Jesus Christ and many understood the responsibility of the church on the earth. And this is a stern warning. However, even though the church is a witness to a marriage, let me emphasize this, it's only a witness. It is not the joiner. Never forget that. I'm going to get into that and define it very clearly. Because some people think that because you went to church and the priest officiated or the pastor officiated the ceremony, therefore, God joined you. That's a lie. Their marriages, you see, no matter how consecrated they look before the eyes of men, they were not ordained by God. That's a hard truth. It's a hard truth because God has principles that are underlying in joining people together. However, you have read, if you go back when we're reading in Ephesians, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. If you have questions on who joins, Matthew 19, chapter 1, verses 5, and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Wherefore, he says, there are no more two, but one flesh. Next line. What therefore God has joined, let no man put asunder. Who joins people? God. But because there's a fundamental principle, there are things God cannot go beyond, even though he has given the blessing of marriage. There are principles that God has established in how certain blessings take course. For example, when God anointed Jacob above Esau, even though Jacob was a young brother to Esau, God appeared to the mother and told her that the older shall serve the wife. The younger. We all remember. And then the father, their father, Isaac, he doesn't love his second boy. He didn't love him as much as he loves Esau. The Bible is clear. Isaac loved who? Esau. Isn't it? And so, scriptures tell us, he tells us, so God do what I want to be done that I might speak a blessing over your life. Make me some venison. And then we all know the story. The mother, he overhears and then helps Jacob to prepare this venison and stuff. I'll take the curse in case he curses you. This is the time. He enters in and the father blesses him in the place of Esau. Now, God had chosen Jacob to be above his brother. That was a blessing. It was a fundamental call. But God would not go against the principle of the patriarchal blessing. Are you following what I'm saying? Regardless of how much he had ordained this boy to be above his brother, there was a principle that that was supposed to be released under the hand of a father. So what does God do? He allows the mother of these boys to eavesdrop on the father and prepare her to know the venison like Esau cooks it at the right point, and avails this guy 
that day, he should have been out in the fields or doing something, but coincidentally, he's a tent dweller. So usually he's not a guy who goes out and God intended it to be that way. And then we see that the blessing, he comes in the name of Esau. But when the man is blessing Esau, it's actually falling on Jacob. That was the only way God would fulfill the blessing he made on Jacob. Because in spite of the fact that he has ordained this boy in blessing to come first above his brother, he cannot frustrate the fundamental principle of patriarchal blessing. So it is with marriage. If God has joined us, why shouldn't we just live together? It's God who has joined us. Or in the other story, it is God who got Jacob and had called him. So somebody will say, whether Isaac had blessed Esau or not, Jacob had been already blessed by God. Uh-uh, uh-uh. If Jacob had slept on the job and Esau was blessed by his father, there was no way this course would have been frustrated. Esau would be above his brother because God, in all the way of blessing humanity, he has placed fundamental laws. Now, one of which is at the testimony of two or three witnesses, every word is established. I'm talking to people who have been living together for 20 years, 30 years, we shall marry, don't worry. Listen, listen, listen. When it comes to us who believe, there is no defining witness, witness like the church of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Because he called it his body. <laughs> I'm trying to explain to you why even though you're sure God told you that's your wife, it's important for you to make certain commitments. In the Old Testament, it's where you hear the word called betrothed. That's where the language of betrothing comes from. It requires one of the fundamental principles of betrothing is a commitment made before witnesses. Commitment made before witnesses. Those are, you will call them vows. You make vows because it's important to God for you to say out the conviction of your heart in what he has joined it's important before a credible witness. Now, I'll leave your definition of credibility based on your faith. Based on your word. Based on your faith. So, whatever follows after those vows, those are just events. They're just events. This solemnization of marriage is not the joining, but it's an important principle to carry the witness, even though God has what? Has joined. That is why I talk to all of you who are listening and watching, if you've been living in a relationship where you are not officially, you know, betrothed or married before a divine witness, a credible witness, which to us is the church, it's important to God that you fulfill that. It's important to God. You saying that, oh yes, we're joined, I don't need to go to church, is like Jacob saying 
that I don't need my father's blessing because God blessed me. I hope we've understood that. Somebody shout hallelujah. Let me finish the throating. The other, other thing was the giving of gifts. Bride price, dowry, all of that is part of the process. That is why in African culture, you go to the parents as one of the witnesses. All right? And then you take gifts to get your bride. Right? Dowry, bride price, that's the experience. When you read through the Bible, betrothing involved, uh, those kinds of things. Genesis 34, verses 11, I can read for you in the Amplified Version, where the gifts come from when Session said to Dina's father and to her brother, let me find favor in your eyes and I'll give you whatever you ask for. Verses 12, ask me so much, ever so much dowry and marriage gift and I will give according to what you tell me. You see, it is biblical to bless the parents or to give for the person that you're getting married for. Well, some parents say, I won't take it. That's all right. It's their conviction. It's their what? It's their conviction, but it is biblical. Okay? So, but let me continue. My emphasis tonight wanted to go on the issue of God joining people. Huh? Sometimes you're with a pastor and he said, Hi, how are you? Can we meet on Saturday? The guy says, Can we meet on Saturday? And his friend tells him, Ha. Saturday, I'm going to join a couple. <laughs> Saturday, I'm going to join a couple. What? Jeremiah says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, one, I knew you. Two, I sanctified you. Three, I ordained you to be a prophet. Then you hear in the church of Jesus Christ an unordination service. So you ask, if this man was chosen by God in his mother's womb, sanctified in his mother's womb, ordained in his mother's womb, when you as a pastor get this man and say you're going to ordain him, what are you ordaining him into? There are many people who were ordained by men. And in being ordained by men, they accept God of his power and the glory that comes with the ordination only him can give. We have a responsibility in the affirmation of ministers, in the authentication of ministers. We have a responsibility. But the responsibility is not ordaining. I'm ordaining you as a bishop. It's not ordaining. We don't ordain men. Somebody shout hallelujah. God joins men, not us. Not us. As a pastor, I can help a person because I understand the guiding lights of the spirit to see whether they understand the principles that govern the joining of God because by those I can tell whether this is really joined by God or not. But I don't join people. We are witnesses. We officiate the witnessing of the covenant, the vows being spoken between these two people because they need to fulfill that before a credible witness. Again, I repeat, it's important to God to fulfill. Jesus said, fulfilling all righteousness. Huh? Fulfilling all righteousness. If we are baptized because of our sins, 
Jesus knew no sin. So why did he get water baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. You would have said, but no, Jesus, you don't need to. I mean, what have you done? You see? But he was fulfilling all righteousness. Somebody shout hallelujah. So this is part of the fulfillment of all what? I'm putting this very clearly because there are many people who take though that altar, that commitment, those vows, that event for granted. It's big before God. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the other forms of it, whether you marry in a building huh, or on a beach, those are not important. You know, I met couples. Somebody came to me and told me, my father and mother told me, for them it's important that we get married in a cathedral. And I said, which cathedral did Abraham marry Sarah? No, 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 no. Tell me the cathedral. Isaac and Rebekah entered. But they kept their marriages. Are you hearing me? And we saw people who walked in the grandest cathedrals. I told people when I looked at Prince Charles and Diana wedding, I saw it when I was a little child. What you saw, you'd not believe they would divorce. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it failed. Unfortunately, it failed. You see, I've seen people married with the best event. The whole world attended. They're on every TV screen. And they're not happy. And I know people <laughs> who didn't even have food on their wedding. They ate cake. And they're happy. Because it's not the forms. It's the principle. Now, joining. So, he says, Who therefore God has joined, let no man put asunder. If you go back to Matthew there, Who therefore God has joined together. In some versions, it puts a bracket, yoked together. So, the word there, joining, is yoked. There's a version that uses yoked together. Because the very word joined is the very word yoked. Now let's have the conversation on yoking. Let's understand what it means to be yoked. For those of you who are readers or who know history, yokes were harnesses that were put on animals. You remember? They were put on animals, oxen or other beasts of burden. Some used bulls or whatever they used to use. They get an animal and put a yoke around its neck and then get another animal and also put a yoke around its neck. One yoke is holding two animals and then behind they would help either pull loads or plow fields or carry heavy things. You see what I'm saying? Now, who therefore God has joined means that every marriage is a yoking there is something that ties the two of you for a particular mission. For a particular task. Never forget this. For a particular what? Task. It is not the joining of God if the mission does not exist. If the mission does not exist, it doesn't matter how much you are yoked or married. It's not a marriage ordained by God. Because God has intended that every man and woman, when they meet together and become one flesh, there's a yoke that ties both. 
to a specific mission. Like it would tie these animals to plow or carry a load, there is a responsibility, a purpose for every marriage. Now imagine your little girl who comes from university. Oh, I fell in love with Ivan, not real name, or Emmanuel. And he's a hot guy, he's a good guy, he's born again. He makes me laugh and smile. Oh, get married. Why is she married? Because he's smart, he's good looking, he has money, he comes from a good family. And then you sit these little two things and ask them, what is your purpose in this marriage? And they have no clue. The point is to love each other. What? Haven't you loved men before? No, 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 not like this one. But haven't you loved men before? Yes. For many cases. Oh, weren't you smitten by some girl in high school and you even forgot to write your paper? Yes. So what's the difference between that one and this one? No, no, this one is serious. I even put a ring on her. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Let me show you how God designs marriages. He looks at a certain purpose X and sees that this purpose can be fulfilled by two. And then he gets these two and yokes them to fulfill that purpose. God joins people with an end in mind. You see what I'm saying? Because there are people 10, 15 years, what is the purpose of your marriage? Ah, we have had children. <laughs> Even non-believers have children. Even those who are not married have children. I'm not talking about making babies. Ah, uh, we have built life together. We are happy. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the mind of God behind the two of you. Simpler question. Why the two of you? Why not any other man? Why not any other woman? When you understand that, divorce becomes harder. It becomes harder. Because you see what is breaking in this separation. And you want to make sure you're not the one who has broken it. Except God. When he said, let no man put a sander, he meant you too. Because you're a man also. Yes, he meant you too. You understand what I'm saying? Let no man. That means if he sees that this is frustrating. And, but also, it is the danger. There's a danger of not understanding what the yoke means who you were yoked to and why you were yoked to them and not anyone else. Somebody shout hallelujah. Did you know that the root word for yoking actually is from a word called submission? So in the essence of it, we submit ourselves to serve a certain purpose. And in submitting ourselves to serve a certain purpose, we agree with God to be yoked with another individual. That means it takes a certain fear of God to actually get married and stay married. So are you understanding why some people are throwing it away just easily? You see what I'm saying? It takes a certain fear of God to stay married. That is why when Jesus speaks of divorce, he says, 
Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your heart, but from the beginning, he said, it was not so, but you hardened your heart toward God. And he said, okay. Moses said, let me allow it. So divorce was circumstantial. It wasn't God's idea. So somebody can say, no, me, I say, if people are doing this and that, and they see they want, I would recommend they divorce. That's you giving an opinion concerning a circumstance. You're not speaking God's mind. But apostle, what if you, what if whatever you want? God starts, give all your opinion, whatever you want. What God has joined, he only can put us on. And he can. He can. Are you seeing what I'm saying? He can. Why don't you tell God, you break it. If you joined it, you break it. I don't break it. Unless it's not him who joined. And you have to tell us why. <laughs> it's not him who joined. But this one, he's the one joining. The new one. <laughs> if you get another one, we ask you, so how are we sure that you've had God this time? You understand what I'm saying? But again, it's really accountable. It's not imposing. It's questions. It's fundamental questions. Somebody shout hallelujah. So we start to see the power that binds two people. It's revealed in the light of what? Purpose. It's the power that binds two people. Amos 3.3. This yoke comes back. Can two walk together? Because they are yoked, except they be agreed. Can two walk together, except they be agreed? What is the place of agreement? Purpose. Purpose is what yokes you to your husband or that wife. The Bible tells you, do not unequally yoke. Translated directly, don't marry an unbeliever. That's what the Bible says. It's God's principle. Then somebody says, but God told me he was the one. I'm saying, but there are principles that govern God's voice. And he has spoken it plainly in scripture that be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Listen, he did not say do not be yoked with unbelievers. He said do not be unequally yoked because already to God, you are unequal to anybody who does not believe in him. Why? They have not found purpose yet. They can't understand purpose. You understand? That's why we say, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Then he asks, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What has he called the unbeliever? Darkness. What has he called you? Light. What has he called the unbeliever? Unrighteousness. What has he called the believer? Righteousness. He's saying that man or woman, even in their best character, is still under darkness. They are not bad people. Uh -uh. Don't get me wrong. The man is good. As an individual, yes, he's Muslim, but he's a good man. Poso, he's good. I understand. But I'm only trying to tell you, the language of purpose is foreign to a man who is not under that covenant. Get it? It is you telling God, I am willing to forego my purpose because I love this man. That's what it means. Oh, why are you marrying a, a Muslim and you're born again? I love him, he's good. You're telling God that 
the love this man gives me is more important than the purpose you have for me in marriage, the purpose you have for me in serving you. That's what you're telling God, plain, simple. And many choose that. Many choose that. I've seen people compromise painfully because these days there are even those who appear to be Christian. The guy is not Christian. He's not born again. But he comes in Fanera and starts to then you say, Bambi, the guy is born again. He didn't even miss service. Examine it. Two years later, a guy tells you, oh, I was actually not born again. He thought I was born again. I was not born again. No. Me, I'm this faith. And effective this Sunday. I don't want to see you in your born again things. Apostle, I just tell her, pray. I'll also be praying. Father, I also pray. Because what do you do? What do you do? Do you understand what I'm saying? What do you do? To marry God's terms means you loved him enough. You understood the cost of marriage. You understood his investment and how precious it was in you. That's what it means. That is why I tell young girls, some people have already messed up. But I tell young girls and young boys who are going to get married tomorrow, don't frustrate your destiny by marrying somebody who does not have a relationship with your God, don't. It's not worth it. Because it doesn't matter how beautiful it is, human love is inferior, will always be inferior to how God loves us. This one married you before she married you. This God married you before that man married you. That man can leave you, but he's the one who told you, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. That man did not shed his blood for your sins. He gave you eternal salvation. Some of you must understand the seriousness of God and his love towards us. It doesn't matter how anointed you are. And how gifted you are. If you choose outside God's choice, you have chose permissible, not perfect. And it doesn't matter whether you drive in a Benz or you live in the best house or you sleep, it doesn't matter. You'll always be empty. There'll always be a vacuum. Ask anyone who was married outside God's will. They can laugh and have the best person. But when they go to bed, they're still empty. Because there's a vacuum only God can fill with purpose. We were created to serve God. Somebody shout hallelujah. So even for us who are married, we must understand that our marriage is ministry. It is some ministry that God tells you, if you can't run your marriage, you, you can't run my house. It is so serious. God says, if you cannot run your house, he says, if you don't know how to rule your own house, he says in Timothy 5.8, how will you run 
the church of God. How? How will you? Because even God doesn't understand it. He wants to learn from you. Uh-huh. How? You see what I'm saying? Notwithstanding, and let me put a disclaimer here, notwithstanding that sometimes a man or a woman can do everything they are supposed to do in marriage and the other spouse just refuses. That's why the Bible says that if the unbeliever walks away, that man or woman they've left, the Bible says, is not to be held in bondage because you can do all you can to maintain your marriage and somebody says, no, I'm gone. I'm gone. What do you do? So don't judge everyone who is divorced or everyone who is separated. I was dealing with a case recently where somebody told me, oh, this pastor, they don't join people who are divorced. And I told them, that's so generic. What do you mean? You don't join any divorcee. What do you mean? You mean everybody who is divorced wanted or did it on their own volition? No. A woman can be in a house, happily married to her husband, and one day the guy says, I don't want to have anything to do with you, and he walks out. What has she done? For you to tell me that in your church policy, you're not marrying them off. What has she done? What has she done? He walked away. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7.15, if the unbelieving depart, let him what? And it says the brother married to that unbeliever or somebody who has walked away is not under bondage in such cases. You cannot say that because he left her, therefore he must be a bad person. Not always. I tell pastors, study case by case and give exceptions. Give exceptions. Otherwise, you're becoming religious without knowing. Somebody shout hallelujah. Are we learning something? So we find that in this relationship that God has joined and the power that binds the two of us revealed in the light of purpose, once understood, then we are aligned to what God's idea is concerning our marriages. Now, let me give us one fundamental law concerning divine purpose, any form of divine purpose. One fundamental law, two or three of them. But today, the one that touches marriage especially, one of the governing principles or laws, and I want you to write this, it's in divine order to find yourself first before you find or you are found. Write that down. It's divine order to find yourself first before you find a wife or you are found by a man. Before you find or are found, it's important to find yourself. Because if you don't find yourself, you don't have a part clearly defined in this purpose. And the Bible is full of people, individuals who were indifferent to the purpose of God joining them together. And I tell you, it's one of the most dangerous places to be when you're married. One of the most dangerous places to be when you're married is coming 
together with somebody when you have not yet found yourself. You have to find yourself first. It's one of the most fundamental laws that governs purpose. In finding out what God has called you for, you must find yourself first. Let me give us a typical example. Jacob flees from his house after his brother is looking for him. Then he goes in the household of one Laban, falls in love with a beautiful girl called who? Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel. He loved Rachel. Circumstance. A mad uncle, after seven years of labor, switched and put the elder sister. And then he had to work another seven years for what? For Rachel. Jacob was a patriarch. He's one of the most defining individuals of biblical history. Isn't it? It is out of him that all the tribes of Israel derived their name. That's an important person in the history. Oh, was an Esau Jew? Yes, but God recognized Jacob and his offspring as the tribes of Israel because Esau sold his birthright. In selling your birthright, you sell your tribe. You sell your tribe. Now, I'm not talking of physical, I'm talking of spiritual. You sell the kind of things that should work in you automatically by reason of the order God has preset. Now, listen. So we see a woman who Jacob loved. Jacob is a man of God. Jacob has a relationship with God. Deeply. And the Bible doesn't tell us who Rachel is. Until a time when Jacob gets Rachel, Leah and all his children, and they are fleeing from Laban. And Laban notices that his gods are missing. His teraphim are gone. And he chases after them. And we realize that Rachel was sitting on those gods. Rachel, with Jacob, you still have a relationship with your father's teraphim. Do you get it? With the God you have seen on this man, he came in your father's house and made him wealthy. He got rods once and made them strict, put drinking places, got animals. These animals met it before your eyes, Rachel. And you saw these animals producing spotted and speckled offspring out of a man striking a branch of a tree. You see that kind of anointing. And as you're living, you get your father's teraphim and walk away with it. It means, in spite of the fact that she was serving, she was loving, she carried babies for an anointed man. She did not understand who Jacob was. Neither did she know who she was in the history of scripture. She never understood it. She never understood the God of Jacob. That he was a jealous God. She carried her father's images. So that's why you need to find yourself and understand purpose. Because if you don't, you're going to go after a God without knowing. And you're going to break your marriage. Do you know, if you read the book of Joshua, Rachel died at 45. That is the youngest. A woman had ever died in that lineage in human history. That is the shortest. 
a woman had ever died in a godly lineage. 45, Rachel was gone. Rachel was gone. That is God. And it's after she keeps the teraphim. What the Bible doesn't tell us is the conversation after that and what Rachel kept in that house. God saw it and separated the two. He separated the two by killing her early. <laughs> People are dying before they're even supposed to die. People are failing before, without any reason in marriage. Why? Because they don't understand the power of firstly knowing who you are, who has called you and what he has called you to do. What is our mission as a couple? Every couple, before you get married to a man, or those of you who are married, sit him down and ask him, what is our purpose? What is our mission in this marriage? Do we have a mission? If we don't, why are we getting married? Why are we getting married? God wanted to fulfill something when he got Boaz to Ruth. You see? There's always purpose. Adam and Eve, there was a purpose. Rebecca and Jacob, we see the purpose. Sarah and Abraham, we see the purpose. Whether she's barren or bears children, the point is, do you see the purpose? And see how the test comes within the purpose concerning Abraham and Sarah. That their responsibility is to father the world and mother the world. The Bible says, even in the New Testament, that Sarah is the mother of us all. And see how the attack comes in the place of purpose and how womb is shut. So it doesn't matter whether she's 90 or 100. She just needs to receive power to conceive seed. Purpose must be fulfilled. Some of the things disturbing your marriages, some of you, are touching purpose. You just need to know what to do. You just need to know what to do. And cling on the promise of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, Building marriage God's way is building a marriage that God has joined and the joining of two people is the light and power of purpose. It is the animals that are carrying these yokes, plowing the fields, purpose, carrying loads, purpose. What are we pulling together? What is our mission? If you have not yet found a mission, wait until you both find it. But in finding that mission, find yourself. If you've not found yourself, don't waste somebody's time. Because you cannot commit when you have not found yourself yet. Identity precedes commitment. Never forget that. No man can commit when they have not found themselves. And commitment is bound to change when you find yourself. You see that? It's a pattern of growth that you begin with the imitations and then you find yourself, which is identity, and after identity, from identity into commitments. That's the order of the spirit. You cannot commit when you don't even know who you are yet. She married a man and the two of them were successful bankers. Are you hearing me? And then somehow this guy found himself 
And now they have trouble in the house because the man is praying a lot and he feels like God is calling him to become a pastor. Oh, so if you become a pastor, how are we going to have fees? How is it? The pastors are poor. What's her problem? They committed before finding themselves. Pray to God that you find yourselves. If you're already married, pray to God to find yourself if you've not yet found yourself. And by his grace, he is able to help you recommit or commit better in Jesus' mighty name. Let's raise our voices and thank God for this message. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 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 My heart's prayer for all of us that are listening and watching. If you're not yet married, this message has prepared you. If you are married, this message is going to make your marriage meaningful. It's going to give purpose to your marriage. And where purpose is, where purpose is, many wars cease. Where purpose is, divorce is not an option. Where purpose is, grace is available. Where purpose is, communication is aligned. Because you're on a mission and you have to agree. You cannot separate any because the mission is frustrated. I pray for those of them that are dreaming one day to get married, that may you marry for God. Don't just marry because you're in love or what. No, marry for God above all and choose God's best. Choose God's best. And those of you who messed up, ask for grace. There is still a way. God can do it. He knows what to do. You allow him to do what he must do because he's God. He is infinite. We cannot limit him to our mistakes. Father, we thank you because our marriages are stronger and better in Jesus' name. Give him a mighty hand clap of praise. Come on. Come on. If you have never given your life to Christ, and you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior. That's a great mystery, actually. Christ and the church. It's him marrying us. We're his bride. He loved you and shed his blood for you. He paid the price for you. So I want to give you an opportunity right now. If you say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, there's no best time. There's no perfect time. It's now. Just repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus. I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins. You were raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 41 466 4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest. <laughs>